It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering each and every week. We look at sports topics local, maybe a national topic or two. We'll get into some gambling as the uh, gambling season fast approaches with football coming. And then, of course, at the end of the podcast, you can uh, we'll fire out some questions to me. Uh, hit Rick up on Twitter. Go to the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. You can literally ask me a question on any topic, and I will try to give you my best answer. As always, this podcast is presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Rick, the Bengals training camp is underway. We dodged the rain yesterday. We were in a, a funky vantage point to watch practice. They practiced on a field away from the fans, but uh, hopefully we'll get a little closer look and so will the fans in the next couple of days. Were you, were you guys up on the bridge with your binoculars? Well, that level of privacy? Well, it, 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 hopefully if the, the field that they were on yesterday, uh, if we can get a little resolution of where we can watch practice from, we won't have to go up to the bridge, but that is certainly in play if that field comes into play again. I have to say, and, and you guys are all just doing your job, so I'm not ripping on anyone here, but it is hilarious to me when training camp starts. And for instance, there was the running back Holyfield who had a non-contact yep. injury yep. at practice, and you just see eleven of you in a row tweet the exact <laughs> same thing. I mean, it's up to like eleven people now that are there, just there at each trading camp. They tweeting the. I mean, there's only what three or four things that are worth tweeting per yes. day at a trading yes. camp thing. Yes. So it's like all of you tweet the exact same thing, and it's like just a. If you follow all those people at the same time. Your Twitter feed just turns into a row of 11 tweets all at once of the same exact yeah, event, I'm, I'm, which is always funny to me. I probably live tweet practices less than anyone. I just don't – A, I don't want to fool with it, and B, I, you know, read my story. You don't, I don't, don't, you don't need to look at all my Twitter stuff. But, yeah, if something like that happens, yeah, I think that gets tweeted out, obviously. But I, I can see – because it's funny. We all stand – we all usually were, – we were kind of clustered together yesterday, so we were all trying to figure out initially who it was. Yeah, all you who is that can, guy? Well, you can see it was a three, and so there's three running backs that start with the number three. Samaj P. Ryan is 34, and, and Hollyfield's 36, and um, and Travion Williams is 32. Well, these were these guys were running with some backup linemen, so you figured, oh, yeah, it's either Travion or Holy Rudy Field. Johnson. And so we're looking. I'm like, a couple of people said, I think it's Travion. I said, Nah, it does. I, I don't. I think he just ran a couple of plays ago, and then. Oh, I see Travion. Okay, he's okay. And somebody, I see P. Ryan. I'm like, well, there's process of elimination for us. And so then we still kind of waited and waited and waited until the cart went by. And then you see the number. And I think that's probably at the same time everybody had the tweet ready to go and then just hit send. And so that's probably why it wound up like that. You know what my favorite training camp game was back in the day when I used to go as a fan, right? No, what's that? Every average white guy that walked out go, is that John Kitna? And this is years after John Kitten was on the team, but like autograph seekers just have no idea. So people are going, oh, I think that's John Kitten. That's great. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's just got, it's a guy wearing a John Kitten jersey. That's all. <laughs> no, he's just got a cross on his hat. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Let's get into some Bengals talk. We'll start this show off that way. We found out this week that Joe Burrow had to have his appendix removed. That procedure took place on Tuesday, and Burrow was expected to leave the hospital on Wednesday. Zach Taylor said there's no timetable for his return yet. Should Bengals fans be concerned at all about Burrow's appendectomy, Skinny? I, only if he rushes back and does something, you know, to, to hurt himself any further. But but no, I mean, I'll ask you, have you ever, have you had your appendix taken out? No, I haven't. I have not either, but it's it's weird that, you know, the days, the couple of days since then, I've just, every time I've talked to a friend of mine, I've asked, and it's probably 50-50. 
who've had it. I mean, it is a pretty routine thing to have your appendix removed. We've definitely learned about a lot of local media members yes, that have indeed. had their appendix removed over the last few days. Yeah, yes, yes, indeed. So, no, and, and look, there's never a good time for your starting quarterback to miss camp. But, you know, the, these first few days especially are kind of ramp-up days. They don't put pads on until Saturday or either Saturday or Monday, I forget which. They can't do contact till next week. Not that he's going to get hit anyway because their quarterbacks are off limits in, in camp. Although, uh, for some reason, Noah Spence knocked, uh, knocked Jake Browning to the ground during a drill yesterday. So, yeah, I, the good part is, you know, he went through OTAs and got a bunch of mental reps and physical reps there. Um, again, is this optimal? No. But if you're going to say, hey, Joe Burrow needs to have his appendix removed this season at some point, when would you like it to happen? I would say yes. How about the day before training camp starts? So, no, I wouldn't be, be concerned. Right. All things considered, it doesn't feel like a big deal. And well, Rick, and the, yeah, and the other thing, too, is, I mean, he's I, I even asked Zach yesterday if they had plans or still have plans for him to to play in preseason games. And, and if if he is going to or was going to, it was going to be very, I mean, very minimal. A series at most, like we saw last year, a handoff, a handoff and a bubble screen and you're done. Yeah. I mean, and, he, and he shouldn't. So from that perspective, I'm happy that we're not going to see him play any preseason games. It doesn't seem like. but. I guess my initial take when I first heard this was, can this guy just get a normal offseason or preseason? It's like he came in during COVID. Then last year he has an ACL surgery to recover from. And then he had what the surgery on his pinky to start this offseason and yeah. some some other type of procedure. And then, you know, obviously for the most part, this was a normal offseason for him. But then you get to training camp and he's not he's going to miss most of it because it seems like more than likely he'll be out at least three or so weeks if not if not a month and it's been weird it's been weird for the Bengals in 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 training camp oh I know AJ Green got hurt in that first prize Zach Taylor's very first practice up in Dayton remember he he he, that's where he got hurt in that that stupid turf up there and the year where AJ dove into the rocks to catch a pass on on a first day of practice and I can't remember there's a lineman that went down with a with a quad I think is it last year or two years ago they they William Jackson got hurt right before camp his rookie year I mean there's been some weird stuff on the other hand, though, I guess when you look at Burrow's career to this point, I mean, this is as normal of an offseason as he's had, right. and he's dealt really well with that. So right. I'm not particularly worried about him missing this time, but to some extent, you just want to say, like, this guy has been so good already. Can he just get a normal offseason? Can he just have a clean sheet for a while and and go normal? That would be nice to see. Uh, the other thing, Skinny, I have to ask you, do you think the local news coverage has been over the top on this? Uh, you think I, I, I will even, I will even point at our station with local breaking news alert at five o'clock and at four o'clock when the news had been out there for four hours and it's just an appendix removed. And then we have to go talk to surgeons and specialists and all of those things. Look, he had his appendix taken out. He didn't have his right foot amputated and you have to have a replacement foot put on to, to survive. Um, he had what a lot of people, I mean, can you imagine if he had his tonsils taken out? Oh my God. <laughs> do, do you get a d- dentist in for that or who who handles the tonsil situation there i'm not yeah, real, no, I, yeah i mean will he will he ever be able to bark signals again without his tonsils yeah he will it's a, people have their tonsils taken out yeah i i mean i want to push back on that a little bit because it has been ridiculous for sure in terms of the amount of coverage it's received locally but i would also say on the flip side what else would they be covering? Like the baby hippo waiting to be born at the zoo? Trust me, there's going to be plenty of that to come. That's a good point. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm I, with you that. that'll, that'll get over. That'll get overblown too, as you know. Oh, for sure it will. But what other story right now do, do people 
universally care about more in this city than Joe Burrow. I mean, like, again, it's a lot for an appendectomy, but I kind of have to say we do a lot of stuff that no one would ever care about in the news industry locally. This is at least something that people do care about. So I get why they're putting so much focus into it, but it is very funny to watch. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I wrote the, the initial story um, when the report came and put it up and I didn't even think to call a doctor because I really didn't care. I'm like, it's an appendectomy. It's <laughs> this is people have these all the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, why would you even need a doctor? We've got 1600 people in the local media that have had it done. Right, so. Correct. So they, they, they know they have for, they literally have firsthand knowledge of an athlete's injury. Yeah. I mean, Mo Egger was British. saying that he was uh, up at Daner's cornhole tournament a week yes. after he had his done. So and, and, it's and anywhere you, from the, one week to four weeks from what I hear. That's competitive cornhole. Now you got to be ready to go. You can't just hop right out of bed. If you're not a finely tuned athlete like Mo Egger and go win a cornhole tournament. I've, I've been in that tournament. I have won that tournament. I have my name on a trophy to prove that I've won that tournament. And I, I can agree. It's not, I probably was like 250 pounds when I won it. And I drank 17 beers or so that day. So yeah, so you're, you're, you're better at that than left, right center. Oh yeah. <laughs> Let's not go there. That was a rough hit for you, boy. That was a, that was a tough day for you. Yeah. We, well, to fill everyone in, we went to cover the Bengals Colts wildcard game a handful of years ago. Yep. You, me, and Dana were driving up to Indy. And, and, Todd, and, and Todd Curlis. And Todd Curlis uh, playing left, right, center in the car. And uh, I, it wasn't a lot of money because we were playing, you know, with singles. But let's just say I lost about 27 straight games of left, Yeah, right, you didn't center. win a single game. It's almost the, impossible to happen with four we, people we actually, playing. We actually talked about that at the media luncheon because I forgot Jay Morrison joined in after he came. came. He was working for the Dayton Daily News then because he said he heard a ruckus coming from a room and <laughs> – texted Dana and said, where are you guys? And come to find out that was our room. And so he came in and he said, I felt bad because you guys were making fun of Rick losing every left, right, center game. First game I sat down, I won. I said, yeah, it was a, that was a rough trip for Rick. I felt really bad. It was a great trip. Actually. I had the the best time and I loved the game left, right, center as a result. But I, I mean, it's almost impossible with only four <laughs> people playing to lose 20 straight times. like Cause that. it is literally a game of luck. Right. I mean, it usually bounces around and that's what makes it great. You kind of, you win some and then, or you lose some and then you win it back later or whatever. It never, it never came back. We kept playing. Yeah, it never no. came back. It never came back. All right. Let's get that borough news came out on media day Monday, which you attended media day featured team president, Mike Brown, head coach, Zach Taylor, director of player personnel, Duke Tobin, and a few other coaches as well. First of all, I'll ask you what your biggest takeaway was aside from Burrow. And then I've got a couple other points I want to get to. Well, the Burrow, the Burrow stuff was Tuesday. The Burrow stuff was the next day. But but yeah, oh, okay. um, uh, I think Mike Brown, two things from, from what he said, talking about the naming rights and, and why the, the time is right for that, for the stadium. Um, and we'll get into that in a second. And then honestly... I, I have to give credit where credit's due. Charlie Goldsmith from the Enquirer asked Mike Brown about the, you know, the Jackson Carmen situation. Um, if they knew and, and, you know, if they did know, why did they still draft him? And I thought Mike gave a really candid, honest answer that, yeah, they knew about it. They, they, they looked at it. They didn't think there was anything to it and they decided to move forward with it. I, I was, I was stunned. I was, I was waiting for, I, I, an answer. Of, I, I don't want to answer that. He answered it pretty forth forthwith. And I, Kind of, I think we all set up and whoa, okay, you know, you answered it. May not be an answer that fans, um, some fans wanted to hear, but it was pretty honest. But yeah, the, the, I think the way Mike especially talked about the naming rights, I, a lot of, and, and I wrote it too. I mean, everybody wrote the story and, and like, I thought it was kind of overblown of that he makes Joe Burrow a priority to sign. Well, duh. I mean, you don't, you don't think that he would not be a priority to re-sign? I mean, come on now, 
Right. Yeah. Everyone talked up those comments and made it like a breakout story of its own. What what else would he say? I mean, everyone right. in the world knows that it's not like you're playing a game of leverage here. If you're the Bengals, right. everyone understands that you're going to pay Joe Burrow as much as any quarterback's ever been paid as soon as his contract comes up. And that's where the naming rights thing is really tied to Joe Burrow, to be honest with you, because you're seeing more and more, Rick, in the NFL, and, and this is becoming a real trend real fast of players who have leverage um, seeking a ton of guaranteed money. Usually the guaranteed money was just your signing bonus, and it was always a good chunk of change. But now we're talking when you get a $230 million contract, you know, 180 of it's guaranteed. And that never happened before. You'd, you'd get maybe 15 of it guaranteed with the signing bonus money, but nothing else was guaranteed. So what has to happen in, in the NFL if you guarantee contracts, is you have to put that amount of money into escrow. And listen, while Mike Brown is a wealthy man, he doesn't have $200 million probably laying around to put into escrow for Joe Burrow. So hence, the fact of the naming rights comes at a time where they need that revenue stream to put money into an escrow account for Joe Burrow. He talked about using it for some of the, the upgrade to the, to the facility, to the stadium. So while he's been reticent to do that, I think he now understands there are reasons that this that you need to sell the stadium rights. And so I, I thought his answers to some of that stuff was pretty good and pretty compelling. I thought so too. And just in general, he seems more open to change now than yes. ever before. Do you think that's because he's no longer in control? Do you think that's just more perspective coming with old age or has winning opened his eyes to a new way of looking at things? You think, I, I think, I think a little bit of all of those things. And, and because the winning has come from maybe him loosing the reins and saying, all right, you guys go hire your head coach. And they did. They hired Zach Taylor. That was not a Mike Brown choice. That was a, a Duke Tobin, Troy Blackburn, Katie Blackburn uh, choice in, in, in there. They've loosened the reins in, in free agency the last few years. They've been very aggressive in free agency the last few years. And it's rebuilt the roster into um, a Super Bowl team and a, and a team coming off of a Super Bowl with, with, with arguably a better roster. And so then, you know, the winning then says, all right, what you guys are doing is the right thing. Now what's next? And, and, and again, the, the trend of these guaranteed contracts, the Bengals see that. Um, and, you know, if you're going to guarantee money, you have to have the money to put in escrow. And listen, again, I'm not pleading poor for the, for the, for the family, but they need to have the money to be able to put in escrow. Well, all right, how are you going to raise some of that money? Sell the stadium rights. Uh, sell your Bet Fred sponsorship. I mean, uh, it's 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 just the way you have to do business now. And to their credit, they're doing business the way other teams are doing business. I think the Bengals, when they sell the stadium rights, Rick, will be there will only be two teams that don't have stadium rights names. One is the Packers, and you wonder if they would ever do it with just the, the iconic Lambeau Field. Plus, they are they are owned by stockholders, so maybe they don't need naming rights for their stadium. And then Soldier Field in Chicago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, every other team in the league has naming rights to their stadium. The Bengals see the need for it, too, and, and wisely so. One of the more interesting things of this turnaround by the Bengals and them making the Super Bowl last year, what was and is the change in opinion of Mike Brown and the Brown family. Because because for my entire life, it's that's been a huge negative in this town and everybody's ripped on them. And very quickly, all of a sudden, it seems like the opinion on Mike has changed. And I think it was already starting to head there a little bit just because he's getting so up there in age. And the more he continues to do these interviews with people, the more he's seemed to endear himself to the fan base a little bit. And people, if nothing else, were just starting to say, oh, he seems like a nice old man who, who really cares, even if he hasn't figured out how to do it for a couple of decades. 
Now all of a sudden he has figured out how to do it in terms of running the team. And maybe it's not him. It's, it's the younger generations of the family, but either way, it's just been kind of interesting to watch that dynamic of the fan base all of a sudden accepting and embracing and even kind of really loving and rooting for Mike Brown and the family. That's been very different from the rest of my life. And I, I think it's kind of cool because hearing the guy talk, you can tell he really does love this. I mean, he really does enjoy doing this, even if it seemed like he was trying to cut corners and didn't understand how to make it happen. Yeah, I, I've always been in the belief, and, and, and anybody that's ever said that oh, Mike Brown doesn't care about winning, I've told them, listen, I've sat next to that dude in a press box. I can guarantee you he cares about winning. I've just always been of the yoke that he didn't know how to do it, that he was chasing his father's ghost, that he was chasing trying to prove I can do it my way because my father did it his way. And I've always said, just because your dad was a doctor doesn't make you a doctor. Just because your dad was a plumber doesn't make you a plumber. It might, but he still might be a better doctor. He might be a better plumber, and you're trying to do it your way, and your way's not working. And so... I've always been of, of that ilk with Mike Brown. And what, and what frustrates you more as a fan, right, is is when you have an owner who is stubborn in, in his ways. And Mike Brown was stubborn and set in his ways. And as a fan, you're kind of powerless over that. And usually the way that you show your dissatisfaction is you stop going to games. And, and a couple of times in this franchise's history, in, in the time since Mike Brown has taken over, there have been a couple of those instances where fans stopped coming and then change came. Hello, Marvin Lewis. Well, then it was time to change again. Fans stopped coming. Goodbye, Marvin Lewis. Hello, Zach Taylor. And I'll just kind of back away and we'll see if these younger guys, younger kids can do it. And so that, I think he's become less stubborn in his ways. And you've seen all of these things. We're seeing now naming, naming rights. You're seeing, um, you, you see the Ring, Ring of, of Honor. Honor. Yeah. You see the, 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 I mean, you see the white helmet. I, you know, I, I don't know if he'd have gone for that years ago. Maybe he would have if, if it had been presented to him. But you're seeing some of these little things. The game day experience, all of those things, I, I think he has said, okay, you guys do it your way and see if it works. And when it works, you know, you go, okay, I, I, you know, I'm at that stage where I'm going to let you guys do it. And, um, you know, there, my, you talk about how much he loves it. There he was yesterday sitting in his golf cart the whole time watching that practice. I mean, he loves watching that stuff. He's, he's very attentive to that kind of stuff. But, yeah, it is. It is interesting. Um, Duke Tobin was asked um, when we had him in our our, our little uh, se segment or section on on Monday when he came around to us. Um, somebody asked him if if he feels vindicated, if if they feel vindicated, and I thought he gave a good answer. And I I do think that they probably do feel some level of vindication, and I think I would too. But he he talked about not feeling vindicated, just feeling happy that that, that they're winning football games, and uh, I, I thought that was a pretty good answer. Yeah, I th I thought all of them. They, it's coming from such a different place than it was a couple of years ago when everything felt defensive and like they're getting up there fighting for their lives. And now all of a sudden all these guys have confidence when they're talking about it. And they're talking about how much they love the fan base and all this stuff. I mean, it's a very different place than feeling like you're on the hot seat. If you're Zach Taylor or Duke Tobin or someone like that. And then from Mike Brown's perspective, I, I, I listened to his whole segment with you guys and I thought it was very good. It was interesting to hear his take and, uh, he has such an interesting way of speaking just in general that he's always kind of interesting. Well, and, and honestly, probably probably what you heard might have been with the TVs because he did separate ones. We, we all kind of the, the writers have a little table where they, you know, because they, they bring guys around that the TVs have different sections. There's a group of TVs, one spot, group of TVs, another group of TVs, another. Gotcha. So these guys make the round. So a lot of things of there's a lot of crossover answers, obviously, right? Because there's a lot of crossover yeah. questions. But, um, you know, some of the stuff that that uh, that he said was probably varied a little bit from 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 people to people. But, yeah, his answers were pretty much you know the same to, to all that stuff. And the questions were pretty much all the same to, to that stuff. And you're right. I I thought he I, 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 I thought he was great. I mean, I thought he was great with us. I mean, you know, the, the fact of. Um, 
he, he's 86 years old. He admits to being hard of hearing. He says, I'm not going to be offended if you yell a question at me. I'll be able to hear it that way. And like I said, you know, the Carmen situation is very delicate, right? And um, the, the question kind of came out of the blue. And I, I, I cried when we were done. I went up to Charlie and credit him for asking the question because it probably needed to be asked. And I I thought Mike was going to blink at that question, you know, of, of trying to yeah. process that really quickly. And he didn't. He gave a really honest answer, I think. Yeah, that's what it came off to me as like really honest. And I think you're right the way you phrased it the first time that it might not be an answer fans want to hear because to an extent, it felt a lot like, hey, it seemed like the talent outweighed the problems in this case. He, we knew he wasn't going to get charged with anything. We had looked at the facts of the case and uh, they kind of were what they were. And he seems like a good football player. That's what I took away from him. That's not exactly what he said. I'm paraphrasing there, but that was kind of the the takeaway I think from his statements. And I'm sure a lot of people aren't going to like to hear that necessarily, but I thought he was very straightforward and very honest about it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, he had to process that that answer pretty quickly. Yeah. And I thought, I thought it was a good answer. The other thing that was talked about was the position battle at left guard. Now this wasn't with Mike Brown, of course, but talked about the position battle between him and fourth round pick Cordell Volson. What did you think about that? Yeah. I even asked Brian Callahan directly is, is it, Jackson's job to lose. And he said, no, it's still a competition. But I, I I still go back to, listen, you drafted the guy in the second round. You were hoping he was going to be a starter last season. You tried him a couple of times. It didn't work. He didn't start camp off on a very good foot, you know, from a, from a physical standpoint and from a, from a mental standpoint. Last and hence year. that's why you busted him down to third team on the first day of camp. And don't think that didn't go unnoticed because it, it didn't because we all wrote about it. And so I thought it was pretty symbolic in OTAs where they plopped him in there with the first group. He looked in much better shape, much better condition. I'm going to be interested. I'm not going to talk to Frank Pollock probably till Friday. I'm going to let a couple of practices go by. I, I want to know what his reaction is, you know, three days in. How's he doing from a mental rep standpoint? How do you think he is physically? How's he doing with technique? Because I do think that um, they're giving him every chance to win that job. And I'll be honest, Rick, if he loses that job, it will be highly disappointing from a football perspective because they're giving him every chance to earn it and win it. And if he doesn't, that's, you know, again, I'm I'm all for the Cordell Volson glass eater picking up trains and putting them back on tracks with two. You know, he's, he's a guy straight out of mythology. Um, he's also a fourth-round draft pick who played tackle at a small college that you're trying to make into an NFL garden his first season. That's a big ask, man. Yeah, and I think Callahan said no matter what, there's going to be a transition period for him and plays where he just doesn't look good because – it's going to be such a jump up in talent level that he's facing. And and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yep. Yep. One other thing that stood out to me was the honesty of Darren Simmons. When it comes to the extra wide receivers, he said he told Kwame Lasseter and Puka Williams and and some of the other guys, you know, that aren't the the big three, you're not making this team unless you're returning punts. Like if you don't become the starting punt returner, you're not going to be on this roster if you're one of those guys. And I thought that was, that was interesting because, you know, we all want to talk about, oh, so-and-so made a one-handed catch in training camp today or look at the two catches for 28 yards that he had in this preseason game. They don't really care about any of that. They're like, no. we're not going to be throwing you the ball all season, to be honest with you. So unless you can really help us on special teams, you're not going to have a chance to make this football team. Yeah, and if you look at it too, Mike Thomas and Stanley Morgan are valued for, for their ability to do a lot of things on special teams. And then now we're down to a six wide receiver at that point. Well, Trent Taylor was that six wide receiver last year. And the reason he was that six wide receivers last year progressing in the playoffs is because he became the punt returner. So if you're going to unseat somebody in the wide receiver room, you're going to have to unseat the punt returner. and. I thought it was a great answer from Darren. It was really honest, and it 
kind of laid out the, the, the whole scenario for it. Um, that doesn't mean Kwame Lasser, you know, if he doesn't make this team, doesn't wind up on the practice squad and come up at some point. But I think for the initial group, I, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, just do the numbers and it comes down to who's the sixth wide receiver and the sixth wide receiver is the punt returner. Trent Taylor, Trent Irwin, uh, Kwame Lasseter, Puka Williams, whoever that may be. And, and so, yeah, you ain't making this team if you're not going to do that. Yeah, shout out to Tab Perry and Ron Dugans. <laughs> Ron uh, Dugans. Was there anything else? that stood out to you from the media day, all the guys you talked to, any of the things that were said in there? I mean, the only, the only other one, it was a simple answer was, was the, the, the ask of Lou Anarumo. Um, if, if Cam Taylor Britt was in competition with Eli Apple to be the starting corner. And he quickly said, no, Eli is the starter until somebody proves me otherwise. And I think that was more of, he's my guy and I'm going to stick with my guy until he shows he can't be my guy. And I yeah. know fans maybe don't want to hear that, but it was honest. Well, I mean, I think he earned it after last year. I do being too. Honest. Yeah, the, the Super Bowl didn't, doesn't help his case because he was, no. you know, he was miserable in the Super Bowl. And you did draft a kid in the second round, and you would hope that guy eventually becomes a starter. And look, it, it may be a case where Cam Taylor Britt plays really well, and Eli Apple plays really well, and Eli's on a one-year contract, and you get through the year, and Eli got you another, you know, another playoff win or two, or maybe a Super Bowl ring, and you're ready to move on because you got the guy waiting in the wings. But for now, yeah, I'm with you on that. Eli's Eli's fine. What I'm hoping for from Cam Taylor Britt is that if Eli Apple has one of those games where he just can't seemingly get out of his own head, which seemed to happen, what, two or three times last year where he was pretty bad, then you have a backup there that's that's capable and ready to step in this year. And, and then after that, we'll go from there in terms of him taking over the starting job. But I think Eli Apple proved last year that he can be serviceable and at times even more than serviceable. There were some games that he was pretty darn good. Obviously, like you said, the Super Bowl wasn't one of them, but that was a tough matchup too. Yeah, I mean, and that's the most fresh in our memory, right? I mean, early in the year it was it was we we talked a lot of Eli Apple, and then for a long stretch of the year, we didn't say one word about Eli Apple. Which you know what? From a cornerback perspective, that's a darn good thing. Yeah, definitely. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears here. The Division One Council has recommended that the NCAA remove the one-time part of its transfer rule to the board of directors. Anyone would be able to transfer and have immediate eligibility if they meet academic standards. Athletes could transfer multiple times and play right away throughout their career. Do you like this idea of allowing pairs to transfer as many times as they want without having to sit out? I, I don't, because um, I, I think it allows that guy who feels he's getting slighted, maybe not getting slighted, to maybe not work quite as hard and, and just continue to find what he thinks is the best fit, and maybe there's never a best fit. I, I I think there's something to, you know, you made a choice, dig your heels in, let it make it work out. Listen, I, I've always been a big believer in the one-time transfer rule. You know, you, we all make a mistake, or, you know, there's other things that factors that come about that you look up and you realize, oh, my God, there's 10 other guys here, and this is going to be impossible for me, or – you know what, uh, this coach sold me a bill of goods that is a, is a big fat lie. So then you go shopping on your own and now you're a little wiser and smarter. And I'll, I'll give you that. I, I just think we're going to get so wild west. I, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to make it really hard on recruiting because you're not going to know how many guys you're going to have to fill scholarship wise and, and who's leaving, who's coming. What are my numbers? I just think it's going to get too unwieldy. I, I really do. And again, I, I, I think there's something to, to occasionally sitting there and, and working hard to try to earn a spot as opposed to, oh, I'm not playing uh, the hell with you. I'm going somewhere else. Oh, I'm not playing here. I'm going to go to somewhere. Oh, I'm not playing. I'm gonna go. You know, at some point, enough's enough. Yeah, I think there are a few things you got to look at here. And and first, is it is it good for the players, as you're alluding to? And I would say in a lot of cases, no, for the reasons you're saying. I, you're Sometimes you're giving these guys an easy way out when they'd be better off learning that 
things don't necessarily come easy in life. Right. You got to work through it and you got to stick with it and, and good things can come from that. Um, is it good for the product? No, definitely not. That all this turnover and the fact that these teams can't keep rosters together and you don't have that continuity and also just the, the standpoint of fans wanting to get to know and latch on and, and really enjoy these guys throughout their careers. It's a lot harder when it feels like it's free agency every year and guys are up and leaving your roster. So from those two perspectives, no, it's not good, but there's also this other side of like what's fair or not to the players. And there's a big part of me that looks at this as like everyone else can transfer as many times as they want throughout their college career. If you're the best singer in the world, you can bounce around to all the different top music programs and no one's going to bat an eye. You're not going to have to sit out and not sing in next year's big fall concert or whatever. So from that perspective, I, I, you know, the coaches having to recruit harder because guys are, are leaving the roster. Guess what? They're making tens of millions of dollars. Some of them. Well, I don't even know it's recruit harder, Rick. I think it just makes it, uh, you know, it's, it's, you're playing such a weird numbers game that, you know, you may even hurt a kid in the process. You may think that, man, my numbers are going to be this and I'm going to offer this amount of scholarships. And then you come to realize, oh, crap, I can get these five transfers. Oh, my. Or, or I was expecting these five guys to leave. They decided to stay. Then you have to go tell a kid, sorry, I don't have a scholarship for you. Well, I hate to tell you that was happening long before well, the transfer rule. They were forcing noting, guys yeah. out left and right if they I'm thought noting, they could get some more talent. This just gives the players the same powers the coaches have to some extent of like, hey, my, my scholarship was only guaranteed for one year. You guys could get rid of me whenever you wanted or tell me true. we that, recruited over you, and that it, happened it, it, all the time. It, it, yeah, now Rick, the players can put the, the leverage on their side and say the same thing to coaches like, hey, I might be up and out of here at the end of the year if you don't play me. Yeah, I will say, and that's one thing that, that people need to, 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 to understand is, is that it's not a four- or five-year scholarship. It is a one-year renewable scholarship. So there, that, that factor is, is true. The, the, I, listen, I, I'm good with the one-time one transfer rule and then the grad transfer rule. That allows you to go you know, two times. That, that's fine. That's yeah, enough. It's more than enough, quite honestly, from a product. Like, do I like this rule being changed if it, if it does come to fruition? No, I don't. I think it's bad for the product. I think it makes it less fun for sure. But I also have a hard time coming up with a good reason, you know, to, to fight against the student athletes for it, because ultimately I, I do think they deserve to have as much freedom as possible in, in these situations. So yeah, it's go, the product's going to take a hit as a result, but I also don't have a great argument against it in terms of fairness. Now, the, the thing about rule changes is they always seem to open up new opportunities for someone. And I think you saw it with the one and done stuff. Like, yes, it's led to a lot of teams getting a a talented player who might have otherwise gone straight to the league and teams have won national championships with those types of players. But we've also seen like UK struggle as a result and get beat by lesser teams with lesser talent who have just been together longer and they're four year scrappy guys that, you know, we've seen more 15 over two upsets. We got our first 16 over one upset in the tournament in recent years. I think a lot of that has come as a result of teams being less experienced, having the one and done guys. Now with the new transfer stuff, you see guys bouncing around and rosters have a lot of turnover and, you know, you get your, your St. Peter's type stories. Now, I think that could be the same thing here. If you, if you're going to see these teams continue to turn over the roster constantly, then it's going to lead to an opportunity for someone else who's done a better job of keeping their roster together. Maybe if it it means not having as talented of players. And I think the other thing is the coaches who are best at building relationships with their players will succeed the most now. And the guys who want to berate their players and feel like their only job is to be a drill sergeant on the field and then have no relationship with their guys off the field. 
I, I think you're going to see them succeed less. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I, 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 I do think it just becomes very wild westy. And I think from, I, I think one Definitely. of the things you hit on, and I know this doesn't factor into the equation, but you know, I, I, I'm just myself. I grew up in the era of, of knowing players when they came in as a freshman and knowing who they were by the time they were a senior and watching their career evolve. And you did, you got to know who they were in a way, and you got to, to kind of cling on to them for a handful of years. Now it's literally, it's like, who's this guy? I don't even remember them recruiting that guy. Well, they didn't, they got him the transfer portal and um, you know, who's that guy? I, I don't know. I go, oh, they got him through the, so I, I do think that affects the product some, I, I do. And it affects the fan base some too. Oh, I think it affects it enormously. And I do think to a certain extent with all these rule changes and look, gambling is going to help save a lot of this stuff to make sure it's still popular because people like to drink and tailgate and they like to gamble on this stuff. So I think for the most part, college athletics will still remain viable and interesting to a lot of people. But I do think because of a lot of these rule changes and the way it's becoming more like professional sports, that some are going to start to lose interest for those exact reasons. The fact that you don't have those four-year guys that they can latch on to. And some of the casual fans don't want to have to get to know an entire new roster every year. So I, I think it's it's absolutely bad for the product. And I do think it'll lead to somewhat of a decreased interest in college athletics. Although for the most part, again, I think gambling and drinking and those types of things and just the big social aspect of, of these sports will, will keep them afloat. I, I, that, I think that part's the part that does keep them afloat. Agreed. All right, Skinny, let's get to some Ask Skinny Anything here. Uh, we've got a handful of questions. We'll start with this one. What is the one event, sporting or otherwise, Skinny regrets not attending when he definitely could have? Um, I, this is going to sound really odd. The Indy 500 when it was relevant, believe it or not. When, it's not when was that anymore. cut off? Um, probably sometime in the nineties, I would guess. I had a chance a couple times to go cover it in the nineties and didn't and turn down the assignment. I, I was not a big, I'm not a big gearhead by any stretch, but just the spectacle of it. I think being on site would have been spectacular to be honest with you. Okay. That was not definitely not what I was expecting from you. I don't think I've ever heard you talk about indie racing one time. Yeah, I mean, I've been to, I think I've literally been to every, some level of every major sporting event. I mean, I haven't covered a college football playoff. I guess I, I would have liked to have, if, if it were worked out from a timing perspective, gone to Dallas for the UC uh, Alabama game, but, you know, it, it was fine. I wasn't asked to go do it, and I had Bengals responsibilities at that point anyway. But yeah, I've kind of been to every, I hate to be that guy, I've kind of been to just about every, well, let me just tell you this, Rick. I've got a, so I got a friend of mine who calls me up last week and he said, hey, um, and we're big golf buddies. And he said, Hey, I got a really cool thing in my email today. I said, Oh yeah. And I didn't even think what it was last week. Cause I'm part of this too. And didn't even think I said, what'd you get some free golf for us? He goes, no, got something better. He goes, I won the lottery to go to the masters next year. And he said, let me one up this even more. I got final round tickets. And so I think I'm going to be able to go with him. Wow. And I've never gone. So that'll be a cross off the bucket list moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm not into golf like that. I, I never apply for those tickets. I don't really care to go to the Masters. But it is funny how every year around this time, whenever they, they do that, you see like everyone that works in sports tweets about their rejection letter that they yep. get from the Masters for their tickets. It's always a, a, a timeless tradition. Well, it, it, was, it was funny. So in about two hours later came my, re my rejection letter. So that was, that was kind of good timing that I, I, I found that out before I got the rejection letter this year. 
I got this question from the guy, the guy who sent it, sent it a few days ago. It's funny. I'm getting, you know, people sometimes like text me now or send me an email or whatever. It's like, Hey, I don't want to forget this while I'm thinking of it. Here's my ask any anything question for the week. So I, I got this one probably on like Tuesday and I've thought about it multiple times and I couldn't come up with a really good, like one event or something that I missed out on that I, I know I could have gone to. The one thing that kept coming back to me though, is I'm really mad at myself that I didn't go watch LeBron when he was like in Indy or maybe just even going up to Cleveland a couple of times more while he was in his prime. You know, it's funny. I never got a chance to see LeBron play in person. It's funny you say that. Me neither. That's what, that's my point. It's like, I, I, I'm, I'm sure I'll still see him, you know, now, but it, we're kind of past that point of him being in his prime now. And it's like, why, why did I not make it a point to go see LeBron? I didn't get to do that with Jordan because I was too young and I couldn't go and take myself, but I could have easily gone multiple times throughout my young adult life. Right. Go see maybe the best player ever in his prime. I don't know why I didn't do that. Well, it's funny. I, I actually, I made a plan to go see him his senior year of high school um, and did, didn't get a chance to do it. The, uh, the, the same guy I was talking about with the Masters, um, he and I, when O.J. Mayo played here locally, because um, there was such myth around O.J. Mayo, right, and, and yep. how great he was, we went. To, we wanted to see him play three different times. We, we, they, Oak Hill Academy came in and played them down at uh, what's now Heritage Bank Arena. Um, so we got a chance to see him against really good competition. Then we want to see him against middle competition. Then we went to see him play, no offense, St. Bernard. We went and watched him play St. Bernard, where he still made, in person, the greatest move I've ever seen. And again, I want you to think about this. He took off short of the left block along the baseline, came out under the rim, spun it in off the glass, and landed across the lane past the other block. Still was, one of the greatest things I've watched in person. He was ridiculous. I, I think I've said this before. I don't know if it was on our old college basketball podcast or this one, but OJ Mayo to me is still the best prospect I've seen. Yeah, because he could shoot. He was athletic, perfect size for a, for a two guard. It's what six four ish. I mean, he was yeah six four six five and freak athlete. Yeah. I mean, hell, he was playing the point. Yeah, first right. time when he got right. into the NBA. So right. like, to, I'll, I'll never be convinced that it wasn't his. I think he had some issues with drugs and some other off the court things, maybe that derailed his career because that, that dude was incredible watching him as a prospect. And were you at the game that was held up at, um, at NKU when he played Highlands? No, I was not. That, that was a fantastic show because you had uh, one of the Godoulis, I think it was Ben Godouli at the time. Was yeah, he the probably tight was. End? Yeah, the probably big tight was. end. Yep. Yeah. He, uh, he was playing for Highlands at that time. And he, you know, the, the Dooley's in general have a little bit of bravado to them. And, and Ben was certainly a bit mouthy at the time. And those two guys were getting into it. And, you know, OJ was up pressing Highlands guards by himself while the rest of his team was back in a zone. And he was picking their pockets in the backcourt and dunking on them and stuff. It was a fantastic show. And uh, I couldn't agree more. Watching OJ as a prospect was incredibly fun and he did things that I still haven't seen other high schoolers do. Yeah. I'm kind of with you on the LeBron. I kind of regret not, not getting to see him in person. Yeah. I mean, it's just stupid of me. It's like, I, guess I, we could, I guess in theory, we could still do it here in the next year or two, but I, well, uh, and I probably project. will, but that's we're, we're past the point. Yeah. You know? right. It's like, that's right. It, it, it'll be still good. Nice to see him, but it's like, I could have done that multiple times during an era where I wasn't doing anything else that was that important. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's like work, work didn't get in the way as much. Yeah, I mean, I, I was I was covering high school sporting events, I guess, on the weekend. So I decided not to make trips like that. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I like this question, Skinny. Should all modern stadiums be built with a retractable roof at this point? I think we're getting to that. I, I, I That's a great you know, I kind of like the whole game should be played outdoors and, and it can be with a retractable roof. I, I'm kind of at that point, too. You know, it, for years it was, you know. 
um, it was artificial turf and then it was back to grass. And now we're kind of in that, that nice turf and it's not the plastic artificial stuff. It's better stuff. And, you know, high schools have, have gone to that, right. Where they've, they've put in turf and it's probably saved them a lot in the long run, especially now with those football fields for high schools that have to have, you know, that have soccer boys and girls soccer played on it on, you know, Monday through, through Thursday and high school football played on Friday, it just tears a grass field to shreds. So, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it does make sense on a nice day. You can certainly open the roof and enjoy the outdoors. And when it's a stormy day, why worry about a rain out or, or the weather affecting things? Um, close the roof. I'm, yeah, I'm kind of with that actually. Or when it's 105 Five, right. degrees out, right. you close the roof and play an air conditioner. I mean, that's the one thing about it is you start saying, oh, you don't want to lose snow football and you don't want to lose the outdoor. Uh, well, uh, to be quite honest, being able to get out of the sweltering heat or the freezing cold and be like, when you go to Indianapolis, that place is a palace. It's beautiful. And it oh, yeah. is such an enjoyable experience to go Rick watch was- a game there. Rick, was it the year, and it may not have been the year, you you know, you talked about, we talked earlier in the podcast about that year you Left went up right with center. us to, to cover, yeah, to cover the, the playoff yeah. game. This may have been a different time coming out of Indy. I, I, I don't think you were with us. This might have been a regular season game where we literally, you know, you're in that comfort zone, right, of, of indoor, inside Lucas Oil. Yep. We opened the door, to, and we knew it was cold, right? The it was snowstorm, right. Yeah. yeah, and we parked far away. Yeah, oh yeah. my yeah. heavens, yeah. I've never me. felt a rush of cold in my life like that. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Smack in the face cold. Yeah. Well, and the wind couldn't have been blowing any right. harder. Right. So that was the time. Okay. So that was the time, okay, right. so that was the time you were with Chicago. us. Okay. That, yeah. That's right. Then that was the time. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think I'm in the, in on the all stadium should be built with a retractable roof as much as you kind of feel soft saying it. It's just like, man, that, that experience is so enjoyable to just be in a climate controlled event, no matter what time of year it is. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I'm a proud survivor of the freezer bowl and all that. And, and I know, you know, as you mentioned, snow football is really cool, but to be quite frank, do I want a game decided by elements or do I want a game at that magnitude decided by the teams and the players? Right. I agree. Uh, Skinny, what items have you broken in anger while coaching, playing, or watching sports? Any injuries sustained over under one and a half holes punched through drywall? It's under by a half. (laughs) And that's true because I did punch a hole in the drywall. I'll give you the coaching story here in a second, but this was, I can remember the game vividly. I I wish I remember the the exact year. I want to say it was 97. Um, Tim Couch's junior year, Hal Mummy's first air raid year, I believe. And, you know, Kentucky at that era didn't go to bowl games all the time. And this was a bowl caliber. They were teetering on being a bowl team, right? And they played at Arkansas. And Tim Couch leads them right down the field. Bing, bing, bing. Opening drive. It's like, all right, going to get up seven. Nothing. This is great. Well, Tim threw an interception at the goal line. And I just out of reality, I was standing. The TV was on in the living room. My wife and I were watching out there. I had to go back to the bedroom to get something. It might have even been defeated, whatever it was, because I had to. St- I stood back there for a minute to watch the end of the drive in the bedroom. And as soon as the interception happened, I just out of reaction, punched the drywall, and fist went right through it. I will say this. It's one of my prouder moments, because I am certainly Mr. Non-Fixer-Upper. I'm terrible at any of that kind of stuff, DYI stuff. I remember my wife the next day came in right by the TV, plopped this thing down. It was a repair drive. She goes, you're going to do this, and you're going to do this today. I'm like, okay, I am going to do this. Fair and enough. my God, you if you came into my house, you would not be able to tell where I punched the hole in the drywall. There is a shame that rushes over you, and it's unlike any other feeling when the anger subsides and you're back to being a normal human being uh-huh. where you realize that you've actually punched a hole in your 
your house. Yes. Yeah. That uh, was, yeah. That, that'll make you oh, do something like repair over, it immediately. Over yeah. an interception that I had no control over. Right. No, I mean, it's stupid, but I think most people that are into sports and certainly people that bet on sports have done something like this at one time or another. I, the one thing I never understand, and I've never even come close to doing this or thinking about doing this is the people who like hit their TVs or throw remotes at their TVs. Yeah, I don't do that. Video game yeah, controls. Do it's that. like, you're, why would you destroy your TV over it? Yeah, I, 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 I would never do that. I, there was, there was one I saw a couple months ago where some dude was kicking the living daylights out of his TV, big, big, yeah. as big a screen TV as you get. I'm like, dude, you just, you just cost yourself a bunch of money. Well, I mean, you see poor people doing it all the time on right. social media. Like, no offense, right. but you can tell, like, you know, they're in like an apartment or everything looks like crap in their house, except for this 70 inch TV that they've got to watch Steelers games on, and they're beating the hell out of the one prize possession they have and it's like next week they're gonna have to go to the local bar and drink their stars away while they watch kenny pickett so well uh, so before i get to the coaching one i've got one other one here this is before your time and probably before most of the listeners time so back in the uh back in the 90s before laptops started to become a thing in in the newspaper i worked at the cincinnati slash kentucky post we had tandy um tandy word processors for lack of a better word and they were horrifyingly bad to send stories from. You had to literally get, you had to get these phone couplers. You had to dial a phone, put the phone in the couplers. The couplers had to be sitting just so in order for the story to be transmitted. And if not, if it wasn't a purely flat surface, it wouldn't go through. So I was, I was, um, I was covering, I guess, spring training because it was at spring training. And I got, I was trying to send a story, spent two hours doing it, finally gave up. I thought, all right, I'll just go back to the hotel, try it back at the hotel. I'm not going to try it from both. So I put my put my Tandy in, in the thing, and I'm as mad as I can be. And as soon as I got to the parking lot, I just let my the la- I let it fly. Because I thought, if I can break this thing, they're going to have to let me get a laptop or buy us a laptop, and I'll start from there. <laughs> By God, I couldn't kill the thing, dude. It would not die. <laughs> it would not die. Uh, I just threw don't it make like them three like they times. used to. Picked it back up and, and the th- you know, the first time you're like, you kind of regret it. And then I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm going to kill it. I, I have to kill it. The third time I went, I can't kill it to hell with it. Got back and said, this thing isn't working. They said, yeah, we're going to get laptops in a couple weeks. Well, thank God for that. <laughs> so the coaching one is, and I've done it like probably everybody. I've I've got a bunch of those, uh, you know, dry erase boards or whatever you want to call the, the boards that you draw plays up on in the huddle. Yep. Um, I've smashed a couple of those in the locker room at, at half times or at the end of games. Yeah, I, that surprises nobody yeah. who listens to this podcast. And along those lines, one of my favorite ones of that was I was covering Kentucky and they were playing a game at Alabama. And at the time, the the press table was right behind, for whatever reason, right behind the benches. And we were right, we were literally the Kentucky media. There wasn't a big contingent. There was me, a guy from Louisville, a columnist from Louisville, and then uh, a columnist and beat guy from Lexington Herald Leader. So, and a catch ball. So there's only like six of us. So we're behind the bench, literally directly behind the bench. I mean, you could hear all the stuff going on during the game. And for whatever reason, Tubby Smith had a, had one of those boards that had magnetic pieces to it. Yeah. So he would have, um, you know, he'd use that. So <laughs> during a timeout, you could tell he was boiling mad about what was going on. As he sat down, he took that, that thing and slammed it across his, his legs as he sat there. And those magnetic pieces scattered everywhere. I caught like one. We we were scrambling to try to pick them all up. And I thought, man, what you know, what would drive somebody that kind of anger? Well, I kind of found out after a while what drives somebody that kind of anger. If you're if you're young, or if you just still have this issue where you have a tendency to punch holes in your wall or punch other things that maybe injure yourself in the process, 
one tip of advice that I learned somewhere along the line that has really served me well over the years is if you get mad enough to hit something, hit something that moves or gives. Don't punch yeah, a hole no, in the I, wall. Don't punch something solid where you're going to break your hand or get a boxer's fracture. Like knock over a garbage can or something that's going to fall down. You can clean that back up easier than you can repair a broken fist or a broken wall. Rick, that was a surprising thing is, is, is how easy my fist went through the drywall without it hurting. Yeah. Well, if you hit it in the right spot, that's exactly yeah, how it no, goes. I, yeah, you're right. I mean, I, and that's the thing. You don't even, I didn't, in the moment, I didn't even think about it. I just reached out to, you know, and just went pow and it went right through. So, yeah, if you hit a stud, you'd got, have a different opinion of that. Yeah, I kind of got a little lucky. I got a feeling. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, all right, skinny leftovers, yay or nay? Well, I, you, you cut out for a second. Leftovers? Leftovers, yeah. Oh, yeah, yay. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, that's an easy yes. I, I t- dude, some of my favorite leftovers, I am such a, I love anything cold chicken. Um, I love anything cold pasta and, uh, I'm a big cold pizza person. I love cold pizza. As long as it's, it, it's gotta be good pizza to begin with, but good cold pizza. I love. I'm the same way. I, I enjoy all those things almost as much cold as I do hot. I, you know, I like to eat it the first time. And then if it's left over in the fridge the next day, there's no chance I'm reheating it. I'm just pulling it right out and eating it. Dude, so. Good fried chicken cold is just fantastic in my, it, it's maybe better than, than, than hot fried chicken, to be honest with you. It's funny you say that. this isn't fried chicken, but I, I did uh like chicken thighs in yep. the air fryer the other yep. day. And I, oh, yeah. I had to make all of them at the same time. And uh, I just had some left over. And each of the last two days for dinner, I've just had, a cold chicken thigh. By oh, I, do that. I, I do that all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, our guy Dave says he's he was feeling sleepy last night when he sent this in. Got any good falling asleep on the job stories? Um, I do. So back when I worked at the post, our, our desk shift was was you'd come in at 9 p.m. and you were supposedly out at 5 a.m. Occasionally, you know, you didn't get it done and you'd be there till 6, 6.15 in the morning, whatever. And it would be weird I usually didn't work desk except for out of season. So if I was in season covering my beat, that's what I was. But out of season, you'd cover desk shifts. Well, sometimes during the week, you'd have desk shifts mixed in with a couple of what we call GA days. You were just a general assignment reporter that if, you know, you go find a story or something happens, you're the one that goes and does the story. And that would usually be like a nine to five shift. So sometimes this would be nine to five day shift. So sometimes these shifts would be mixed up, right? To where you, your sleep pattern was completely messed up. No, oh, I'm familiar. Yeah. So I used to occasionally, I would, I would, I would be the one that would go get. So when the inquiry would come out at like two o'clock in the morning, one of the jobs of the desk, there was a small desk. Somebody would drive over to Western Avenue to go pick up inquires. Well, occasionally I would go um, into the bathroom and sleep for about an hour, then sneak off to get inquires. And then the, you get the, what took so long, man, they just, they, they weren't off the press yet. So I would occasionally sneak off to the stall and sleep for about an hour or so on, on occasion. It just, it, you, you just, you dude, you couldn't survive without it. You're dying. Anyone who's worked an overnight shift, which I, I currently do at channel 12 has some type of system or little like sneak to use when they just can't make it through the night. Right. You know, like, I mean, now, some of the people that we've worked with would openly just sleep right in the middle of the newsroom where you have no privacy. You're not at like a cubby even or any or a cubicle or anything. It's like literally it's, you know, everything's like waist high. So you can see and, and collaborate or whatever. But there, there are 
people who would just sleep there right at their desk, just fall asleep. So, well, and uh, for us, we, we had, we had uh, two of the floors at, in, in the building that we were in down on court street. And so you wouldn't sleep in the bathroom stall on the floor where editorial, just in case somebody came in and they'd hear you or they, they, of you know, course. They'd, yeah. You go, go down, you go to the, one. Yeah. yeah, you'd go, yeah. You'd go one floor below where nobody was going to be that, that night. And I, you, you could kind of get yourself a good hour in there and, and feel good about you and you feel refreshed. And the thing is a lot of times during the, during the time there not to bore people, but you'd have a guy who, who laid the paper out. He's called the slot guy. And then the other people were, were called rim editors to where you're the people that are editing the story down to fit the space and for grammar and punctuation, all those things. Well, there'd be times there wouldn't be anything in your thing for an hour anyway. So you weren't missing anything. So it kind of was a good time to catch up. You got the slot guy and the rim guy, huh? Slot guy and the rim guy, chief. Sounds like another industry I know. Uh, All right. To this one says to piggyback on your lion versus dinosaur conversation. What animal would you be most scared to try to escape from if stuck in an exhibit with them? Uh, any any form of snake. Oh, Poison really? Snake. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm so deathly afraid. I mean, deathly afraid. But I feel like that'd be, uh, I don't want to say easy, but I feel like that's one of the, if you were in a snake exhibit. It'd no, be no, no, no. I'd, I'd probably die of a heart attack. <laughs> I, I can't do it. I, I can't even go. I can't even go into the reptile house at the zoo. I can't do it. For me, I think it would be undoubtedly a, a shark tank if they, I mean, I know they can't even really keep most sharks in captivity, but if there was some type of like tiger shark or great white, and it's not so much that I think like I'm, I'm that terrified of sharks, but it would just be anything where I'm swimming instead of on my feet would make it feel infinitely more dangerous to me. Or like, I, I don't, I'm not, I'm way less sure of myself as a swimmer trying to get away from a predator than if I was on <laughs> Lane. Did you see did you see the tweet that went viral last week of the guy on the, the two guys on the golf course and the alligator crawling up behind him? No. Oh my, it is terrifying to watch and the guy the buddy's shooting it and the alligator is probably a depth perception thing where the gator's probably further away than you think, right? But my man is very calm and getting rid of his golf shot and the alligator literally you know, creeps up on him, then gets into a crouch like he's about to strike. And I'm like, hey, I'm not mess. When we when I was down in Florida last month and, and we went and played golf, my daughters and I um, and they do have signs of of snakes and 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 alligators around, you know, the water areas. Anytime we hit one close to the water, I would literally say, "Hey, just go quickly get your ball, come back to the middle of the fairway, and play over there." I'm not messing with this. Yeah, well, that's the thing about alligators that makes them so scary is like, you know, y- yeah, you can get away from them if you see them and know in time, but you don't usually. Right, they sneak right. up on you, like they Correct. surprise you usually. Yeah, I don't so. want any part of that. Yeah, no, neither do I. All right, that's all I got. All right, good stuff. Appreciate the questions as always. We'll have some more conversation on Bengals training camp. They've got uh, practices obviously through Saturday, the one in the stadium on Saturday, and then uh, a couple more early next week by the time we do a, another podcast. And we'll, we're inching a little bit closer and closer to the start of college football and high school football season as well. And, uh, of course, probably by the time we do this podcast, Rick, Luis Castillo will be on another team, right? That's right. Uh, we might have seen his last reform, likely saw his last performance just last night and yep emotional night, at the, emotional night at the ballpark i heard <laughs> it really was that's so what i heard I'm, that's what i'm told that's what i heard that's what i was that's what i was told too so all right hey thanks for listening to the podcast keep the questions coming to rick boring i'm richard skinner it's been the skinny podcast the weekly poke re-edition presented by ryan Kiefer of prime lend 